0: Ashim, welcome to the podcast. If you could just start off by telling us a little bit about your career so far and what it is you're doing now.
1: Great to be here. So I was born in London, grew up here, also lived in the Netherlands, uh, growing up, got roots to Pakistan. I studied PPE, Politics, Philosophy, Economics at university, where I also became fascinated by the world of entrepreneurship, startup, at startups and launched a kind of consultancy to help students get real world employability skills. And since then, since graduating, I've been in the tech sector across, initially starting off at Facebook, or now Meta, then moving to Microsoft, and now most recently I'm at Google. And I've done a mix of roles across sales, strategy, and sort of venture capital startup partnership work.
0: Yeah, and what is your actual role for Google, then, if you just explain that?
1: So I'm a regional product lead in our go-to market team at Google. So effectively I sit in between our sales teams and engineering teams. And this is this is how I kind of think of it, my own personal view is for any of the F1 fans out there, I'm a big Mercedes fan. I like to think that go to market, the team I'm in, we're effectively like Toto. So we're trying to figure out how do we make us our drivers, our sales teams, you know, the likes of Lewis Hamilton the best teams possible. How do we listen to our customers? How do we channel that back into what we build from the engineering standpoint? And then what does the end-to-end go-to-market vision look like across EMEA? That's the region I look at for all of our products related to search. So Google search, basically.
0: Yeah, and was this the kind of role that you always knew you were going to do? Or was that like developed over the years in your career?
1: So it's a very str- strategy-esque role, a very uh, consultative, because you are working with customers, you're working with a lot of internal teams across sales, marketing, product, engineering, you know, business finance, you're constantly trying to, you're juggling a lot of stakeholders and putting together a lot of strategy plans and then delivering that to teams and to customers. Did I think I'd be doing this um, w- when I was a student? No, I, I, I initially wanted to be a lawyer. I just I initially wanted to be a lawyer. I did a, like a non kind of back, back scheme, realized it wasn't for me. I, like I said, I built a consultancy. I loved it, but I didn't want to be a consultant. I did a sales internship at an investment bank. Loved selling, but didn't really have an affinity towards fixed income bonds. Sorry for those that do. Uh, so, no, but I think I just kind of played to my strengths and have gradually uh, tried to grow in the industry.
0: Yeah, and from what you're saying, like, it just seems that you've always been doing. You know, no matter what, whatever stage in your career, whether it's university, starting up your own thing, or just going from company to company, working out what you're good at. What? Why do you think it's so important to have that attitude? And why did you? how did you know to do that at such a young age while at university, just to be doing things?
1: So I've always... Uh, this, uh, I think the three principles I've always tried to live by in terms of my career is uh, hunger for something. And I realise I'm hungry to succeed, I'm hungry to maximize my potential, but I'm also hungry to bring people together and that shaped a lot of my school journey as well in terms of how I played sport or how I brought together different communities. I also knew then the second thing I wanted to do was I enjoyed the world of business, I found it interesting. I did politics, philosophy, economics, but I found you know working with companies, startups, SMEs, large corporates, new businesses, fascinating. And, and in particular then, what I also enjoyed was helping them grow. And you think of how do you help a company grow, there's different aspects. You know, you can uh, through corporate law, finance, uh, customer acquisition, or kind of the digital technology landscape. And that's why I really found an affinity towards. And when I was building my consultancy at, at university, the companies we were working with, you know, I was up in York, anything from a local charity to Virgin Trains East Coast, I was fascinated by what channels do, can I help this, this, this company grow. And I said, well, that's what I want to do. So I, I I never chose the world of advertising, which I'm kind of in now. I just kind of landed it because I enjoyed helping companies grow. And then the third thing which has always kind of helped define my career, I said, is I think you've got to have resilience. And I think especially when you're starting off a career, whether you're building your own company or you're working for a corporate there's a lot thrown at you and there will continue to be a lot thrown at you. Almost the higher up you go or the more you try and do, the more you will get thrown at you because you work with more people, there's more risk factor, you have a larger coverage or footprint. And it's just having that resilience say times will get tough, but there's opportunity here for me. I should be a sponge, soak it up, listen, and then try and deliver my impact. So I've always said, I want to be hungry to succeed and hungry to bring people together. And second, I've said that I like helping companies grow from, let's say, customer acquisition or how do they grow their business, market expansion, through a digital lens. And then third is resilience of it's going to get tough, but there's huge opportunity in that.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree on that resilience point. But actually doing that in practice is a whole different thing, right? And Especially in the early days of university when you've got so much to worry about, a bit of social pressures, relationships, getting your actual degree done, what does that actually look like than being resilient and how can you sort of prevent burnout and just keep on doing?
1: So I think uh, I don't think I'm a great model <laughs> for helping people prevent burnout. I would admit I've I've burnt out almost at different different spaces, even though, you know, on social, it doesn't maybe look like it and so on. Um, but I think I'm learning how to manage that better. But if I if I think of, you know, in the student landscape, when I was a student, I I really enjoyed my degree. I was building this consultancy. I was playing sport. I had a really good time with my friends. uh, You know, and you're doing other stuff when you're on campus and things as well. But I, the whole job hunting thing was a real challenge, actually. Even though it might not look like it if you look at somebody's CV or LinkedIn. I did a sales internship at JP Morgan doing fixed income sales. I loved it, very fortunate for the opportunity, but I decided it wasn't really what I wanted to do longer term. So in my third year, I was like, well i decided not to kind of go back to something. And a lot of my friends were, which is great, which is fine. And I said, well, I've already knocked off consulting. I've already knocked off law. I'm doing PPE. I don't want to do a master's. What do I do? And I probably sent out maybe 46 reject, 46 applications in my final year and had, I don't know, vast majority of rejections. And it was rejection after rejection after rejection. And it really eats at you when you're a student because you're thinking, well, I have all the rights. I surely think I have all the right skills. Uh, I know I t- I'm trying to be a team player, I play team sport. I'm trying to be a leader. I'm building a startup. I'm, uh, I'm doing a bunch of other stuff. I'm ingrained in local communities. I'm doing social impact. I, uh, at that point, I'd done like a TEDx talk as well. So I was really confused. And I remember one example of dealing with, with failure, which was I went for a, a final interview with this, with this company. And it was the end of a five stage process so online application, CV verbal assessment, listening assessment, first on stage you know face to face interview assessment center, then there was another kind of telephone round and consultation, and then finally you get to the fifth stage of you go to their site, spend two, three days there. And you get to grips with the company, they ask you a whole range of questions in the assessment center. And I thought I killed it. I really thought actually, do you know what? I've smashed this. And I even pushed back my my winter holiday just to make it with this <laughs> assessment center. I was there having a great time with like the VP and the directors and all the people. And I was like, Yeah, I feel good. I then go on holiday, you know, I'm like relaxing with my family, having a good time. I was at a wedding at that point as well. Um, and then like, I get a phone call, and I'm like, oh, this is it. You know, I've, I've, I'm like, oh, my, this is it. It's the moment you actually wait for throughout your time at university. I pick up the phone call, and you hear the dreaded, word, dreaded words of, we're sorry to say you haven't got the job, and it broke me. It actually broke me. I think I locked myself into the toilet, uh, into the bathroom, and I just sat there. like, you, know, you just want to sit by yourself looking into the mirror, thinking, how has this happened to me when... Three months ago, I felt on the top of the mountain coming into my third year. And now I feel like right back at the bottom. And I remember I just felt the sense of shame. I don't want to talk to my friends, my family. I don't want to tell anybody that asked me what went wrong. And that's the first time in my life that I can reasonably remember where I felt really at a low point. And I said, I'm just done, you know. And then you learn to pick yourself up and things and you go through that process. But that's when I kind of really was challenged by resilience because... I really wanted this job. I thought I smashed it and I clearly didn't.
0: Yeah, I got that. It is fascinating, you know. You come into these podcasts with a preconception of who the person might be and, and what they might have been through. And, and with you, with all your success and big companies you worked at, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think that. Um I, I sort of seen on your LinkedIn that you were mentored at BCG. Um, and you also do a load of mentoring now. And I was wondering why was Mentoring may be so important for you, getting through those harder times or rejection. And then why do you feel so inclined to give back to young students now?
1: One, why is mentoring so important to me? I I genuinely feel incredibly grateful for all the opportunities I've had across my personal life, my professional life, the people I've met, the things that I've learned. A lot of that has come, you know, both directly from like, you know, growing up and things, but also professional mentoring. I am who I am. Uh, obviously, through yourself, you, you develop your own personal self-confidence and, and self-personality. Uh, but you are largely also factored and shaped by mentors around you. And there are people that took time or spend their time helping me for no reason other than, I don't know, maybe they saw something or we bonded or so on and so forth. And one of those people... Um, when I was building the consultancy at, at university, and I think there's, there's a great lesson here that if, if you're a student, like really engage with people around you and this community society you're in, because there's actually a lot you can do as a student to build your own personal brand, build professional connections, and actually just you know develop yourself really. And there was somebody when I was a student, he was um, uh, a partner at a big four firm, also an alumni from from my from my university, and I sent him a LinkedIn message asking him to come and speak at a conference that I was hosting. He immediately replied within I think maybe an hour and then he said I sent him this really long well-crafted message of dear sir <laughs> my name is this I'm hosting this I would love if you can come and talk about this did my industry research put it on the email and he literally replied saying yep sounds good I set up a call with my my secretary and let's catch up it, it was like I'm going with this formal approach he's coming in with this very informal approach as a student I was like this is so funny and I set up a call with him um, lo and behold, this is when I also learned the value of time management skills because I thought like a one o'clock call means you dial in at one Oh one. So I actually dialed in at one Oh one and I was on the call for about 25 minutes. And then I was, wait, did he forget or did he miss? And I asked him afterwards, I said, what happened? You know, I was on that call. He's like, yeah, I dialed in. He said, I dialed in at one o'clock. You didn't join. So I left. <laughs> so... The, the, there's, there's a reason I'm telling you all this. Then he said, Okay, let's try this. Come to my office down in London. And I was in York at this time, and let's just chat face to face. So I went down to his office in London, you know, suited and booted, like, felt really good about myself. <laughs> I'm going to Canary Wharf. I was like, Wow, this is insane. Yeah. This is amazing. I get to his office, and, um, you know, I've sat there, like, looking around, thinking, Wow, this is so cool. You know, like, these, like, senior people doing really cool, like, big things. And I finally, like, I go into his office and the first thing he says to me is, what is wrong with your tie? <laughs> you know, undo your tie. Like, it's a classic, you know, fat tie, like, you know, redo it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at him like, are you serious? He says, yes, <laughs> redo your tie. So there's me, I think I'm like 17, 18 year old, like, redoing my tie in front of this big four partner. Um, but, you know, that, like, it just broke all the barriers that I had with him. And this is the first thing. First time I ever met him, and then over the series of, like almost up until to this day, he still continues to mentor me, both formally and informally. And mass, he played a massive factor in my career, both in giving me energy, insight. You know, he he helped, he, he he introduced me to some of his fellow partners at, at the firm. I did work experience for him. I was really happy and lucky to do that as well. We collaborated on some other you know other ventures since then, um, uh, too. But. The, He was so helpful to me in shaping my personal career, my professional career, because I got to see somebody who just really smashed it and I felt inspired. And then he shaped and influenced me both from skill development, talent management, introducing me to people. And I thought and how I think as well, sometimes is actually shaped by how he thinks like he's a very clear cut, sharp thinker and just says what he needs to say. And I felt really influenced by that. And I said, actually, I need to give back and and do some more here on, on mentoring.
0: A quick ad break to talk about London tap water. Nellif, did you know one in five bladder cancer cases are caused by the tap water that we drink? I didn't know, but this is why we're proud to have Water2 as sponsors of the podcast. Water2 is a new water company serving the water in aluminium cans and via home filters called Pods, which plug in under your tap to bring you bottled water on tap. Amazing, right? Backed by years of research at University College London, the tech behind the water is over a thousand times more powerful than our common Brita filter. It's a totally groundbreaking company. We recently had the founder, Charles, on the podcast and we're both regular drinkers of Water 2. It's something we really live by. It's better for you, safer for you, and better for the environment. So, to get your own pod, head over to water2.com. Health starts with hydration and you deserve more than just tap water. Yeah, I think it's... a. Uh obviously very privileged to be rubbing shoulders with these kind of people at such a young age but it doesn't happen by accident and one of those big things, reasons it happened is because you started something at university and you know i can relate to a little bit doing this podcast and obviously it's it's a very daunting prospect you know doing something off your own call when you see everyone applying to these spring internships and spending their time on applications I mean, what year were you in when you started at first of all because i'm not sure but but also like you know, how did you say? Okay, I want to start a consulting firm. Like, you know, what what does that actually look like? What are you doing to start that?
1: The hardest part is to start. Um, so there was like some early iteration of this 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 organisation that existed a few years prior to us, then it kind of you know died because some some you know the people naturally move on in, in a three year cycle at, at university. So a few friends and I we kind of recovered it up at, at the start of our first year. Um, and I think you just have to kind of do the process. And it's something I learned even in my, in my role since then is a lot of times when you do work, if you really want to drive impact and drive innovative work, the best thing you can do is to actually just start. I think often you want to go and research, get feedback, validate the idea, which is all important. But if you go, for example, if we take it into the real world and say if you're a startup, and I've been through this journey, and you want to go, let's say, raise investment, or you want to go get customers, you need something to show, whether it's a digital product, a physical product, or a service, right? And that involves you just starting and building an entity of some kind. So my key learning there is, if you have an idea, yes, discuss it, yes, share it, yes, get feedback, yes, do all those things, but make sure you're spending more of your time doing something, because having something to show and then get validation and feedback on that and as an iterative process grows. in my current role kind of at Google in this strategy team, it's very easy to get locked into design thinking. what's the problem statement what are we trying to solve, et etc and that is very important to do at the same time, parallel you need to be producing something whether it's on the deck on a dock, you know capability plan or you know client pitch for example, so that you can get real-time feedback on what you're what you're doing
0: yeah and I I just add on to that that you know it, what is scary and paralyzing about just starting something is that once anything you put out there becomes your reputation to some extent but I guess you know doing something at such a young age it's not set in stone right you know and and when you're older it becomes more nerve-wracking to do it because you you've got this career behind you so doing something as a student I think is definitely worthwhile and obviously paid off massively for you um, and just sort of alluded to earlier, but branding and personal branding. You know, I I wonder what your thoughts are on it from when you first started. You know, at university you started putting stuff out there and building this personal brand. And to be honest, it's quite a new term. I didn't really know exactly what it was. I mean, I could have guessed, but until quite recently. But it is really important, right? And and like I imagine you've in your career benefited a lot from you know being able to jump from. Bit meta to Microsoft to Google whatever because of the personal brand you have put out there. So, so how do you reflect on your journey with how you brand yourself in a career sense, and also uh, how do you how do you keep that separate to your own sort of personal life? your who you want to be, you know, in a personal way and with your mates and everything.
1: So, if you ask a lot of my friends, they'd say uh, <laughs> Ash's personal brand is his professional brand <laughs> at times. But I, I think with personal branding. It's useful to do because it also helps you figure out who you are and and what you want. So if I dial it straight back to being a student, I was putting out posts on LinkedIn looking for clients and sharing our work that we were doing from the consultancy. When I joined Facebook, the personal branding there morphed into sharing our progress and programme that we were running for you know UK venture capital firms and startups. At Microsoft, it was how can we at Microsoft help financial services companies transform digitally? At Google, it's what is the future of you know search and, and AI and and also how do you you know drive profitable growth of your business? And then through that, I've kind of also discovered what do I like talking about and what's important to me. And one key topic that's important to me is leadership. I think leadership is evolving. Yes, you, you know you see leaders by titles, but leader leadership is also inherent. Leadership through influence, or leadership through how you work with other people and things, and that just became a topic that I resonated with since I did a TEDx talk when I was when I was still a student, and that's something I've tried to embody on my um, in my you know quote unquote personal branding, but more because I find it useful to go away, listen to something, go attend a talk, work with a leader, who I would call a leader. Kind of package those thoughts up and say, actually, I want to share a message. So I think personal branding is, you know, people can say you're promoting yourself, but in essence, if it's really authentic, you're sharing an idea worth spreading and that people can latch onto and you can build connections and so on. So I found it really useful to build connections, but through personal branding, I've been able to do more mentorship, right? As, you know, one of your questions earlier, because if I can put out information that I've learned from other people, that then enables me to, you know, where I can help others who are on a similar journey or going through something similar.
0: Yeah, can you just explain what was actually, what that TEDx talk was about? And I'm curious to know, you know, you said all these things while you're at uni, and you're a lot younger. Would you have changed anything you said in that? Um, And and what have you learned in that sort of realm of leadership since then?
1: So I did, so the TEDx talk I did was Unlocking Your Inner Leader, this idea that, leadership doesn't come with titles it comes through influence it's about being emotional intelligence it's leading by doing and it's doing it with a smile Uh, most recently i was in cairo a few weeks ago uh, for a startups at border summit which is a huge huge summit that happens every year for the Mena region uh, connecting startups founders investors entrepreneurs you know Everybody, I mean, roughly almost like, I think 3,000 people attended this event. And there I got to deliver a, a keynote speech on building an exponential mindset in a borderless world. And it was really just my own stories of how I've kind of done this, both through my own upbringing, my own growing up, my own personal experiences, professional experiences. How did the story change? I actually found that when I talked about how to build an exponential mindset in a borderless world, the messages were similar, that you still need to be emotional intelligence, and I've learned that through this through both my corporate career, my personal journey. You still need to uh, lead by doing and if you have an idea, start it. And, and I shared a few examples there of, you know, if i had start up ideas, I'd just do it, just test it, you know, work with some friends, build something. If it worked, great. If it doesn't, you know, leave it, move on, you learn. Or my corporate career of, if you want to go work somewhere, apply, you know. Uh, and similarly, doing it with resilience, and with a smile, both saying, sharing stories of, you know, um, co-founders, unfortunately, like, you know, whether repassing are passing or startup ideas going wrong, or, you know, things in your corporate career that might not have gone right, etc. But it's a learning moment. So I found that the, the, for me, the messages were consistent. The stories had evolved naturally from my, from my, uh, from my journey since then. But ultimately, I think the message is, is largely the same
0: yeah one thing i've gauged from listening to you so far is that you know a lot of your life prior to your career and your career has involved being in other countries and being immersed in different cultures and uh sort of two parts to this question but how do you feel you know growing up in the netherlands and you know even going to university in york and and, and uh having pakistan heritage how has that sort of influenced you in in a career vein you know who you want to be who you want to represent, and like when you do lead a team, like actually making the most of all the different cultures. I mean, somewhere like Google has all these different kind of cultures. So how do you enhance that? And and also, if your job does involve a lot of travel, what does that actually look like in practice? Is it as good as people make it out to be? Do you actually get to travel around the place? I mean, what is it like?
1: So I've always, so growing up, I used to hate moving. It used to like really annoy me because, you know, you, you build, for, you make friends and you're told to move, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, but since then, I've I've really come to love it, actually. And I think as I was in my later sort of teen years and going into university, and then since then, I, I, I love it because you are thrown into a new environment where you need to adapt, meet new people. And it's not rebranding yourself. It's actually championing yourself because otherwise people can see right through you. And that's really helped me in my career. And I'm really lucky that I had that experience because my role now as a as a regional product lead uh, looking after Europe Middle East and Africa I'm lucky that I get to work with people all over you know a really extensive and multicultural region but then we also connect and talk to you know people in the states people in asia pacific and and, and you have people from all over the world so it's not to say that it helps you know you fully understand where people are coming from but you really enjoy it that I love working with people with different backgrounds different stories different ways of thinking cuz it it kind of makes the work harder, but also more exciting at the same at the same time because you have a whole f- flesh of different ideas. And so I think in terms of traveling, um, I you know I, I never thought I'd move to Dublin straight out of university, and that's where I was when I was working uh, for Meta for Facebook. That was also fantastic because you had a lot of people from different places around the world in in Ireland in Dublin, and it became this pressure cooker of really cool ideas and different stories that you wouldn't even think about you know for example i had a friend who started a business um using bamboo like toothbrushes spoons you know utensils and he went traveling to thailand and 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 the, and, the, and the far east and came up with this idea i thought it was insane and he was originally from germany and i just thought like that whole connection was 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 amazing traveling with with work has changed pre covid and post covid Pre-COVID, at Facebook, when I was at Facebook, we were I was going, coming to London quite regularly to meet clients, to meet teams. We were also going to the States a lot uh, to meet our kind of global counterparts. I think COVID changed some of that dynamic with working from home. And since then, it's slowly picking up. You know, lucky to have been travelled now kind of around Europe, etc. So I think it comes with the territory. I like it as well, but it really varies on different kind of jobs, etc., I think it's just being flexible and adaptable to the travel opportunities that you
0: have. I'm interested having heard you talk about sort of your perspective on on your career so far, and like you know, even talking about like understanding all the pressures that everyone has, and uh, and the importance of you know time not really mattering. Like if you looked at your career as a student, because you have done a lot and you have been at very successful firms, and that, to a lot of people, that would be like, you know, meeting you would be intimidating. And that. But you know, it's funny because you have the, you had these of students, and now you are one of these people. Like, what what do you sort of think about that?
1: I mean, look, I st- I meet senior leaders both internally at Google, externally at events, could be clients as well. I still feel at times intimidated. You know, you everyone ever, everyone has a sense of imposter syndrome, I think somewhere. I think what I've learned is that own it, it prepare you know, your, yourself for these types of things, but then just go in and enjoy it. So I, I play field hockey a lot uh, here in London. You can do all the training on your press, positioning, shape, tactics, tackling, shooting, passing, running. But when you're in the pitch in a competitive game and there's a gazillion things going on around you, you need to just enjoy it and go with the flow. So I've also learned that when I go and meet senior people, still, and if I met myself maybe like five years ago, just be yourself and, and own who you are, and try and channel what you can for that for that for that meeting, for that for that for that meeting and who you're talking to. I mean, obviously, elevate your conversation in different forums, but also really bring out your energy. I mean, if we think about it to that very first example, my very. One of my very first, most influential mentors that I met asked me to redo my tie in his office. I thought it was brilliant. I was like, "Why is somebody so senior and distinguished and successful as he is asking me to redo my tie in his office?" But it, it was just him. He was just a cool, funny, normal person, right? So I've often tried, where I can, to find personal bridges with people who I consider like you know senior leaders or, or, or anybody that I admire just because it just breaks the ice but at the end of the day everyone is still a human everyone is still a person and they're probably doing the same things that you know you and I are doing but maybe in just different forums or, or so on so I think always continue to look for ways in which you can just build personal relationships with people so know your stuff professionally but then really just find just be yourself I, I really think that holds true
0: yeah and you said uh, when you first graduated you um, you went to Dublin and you joined Was uh, it yeah. yes and that whole process of making your first step in your career—is like, it important? Because I mean, to get it right initially, because you know, not everyone can get it right, and, and there's obviously like room to to change and chop and change where, your career whenever you want. But how do you actually go about deciding? You know, you, you said you explored so many different avenues while you were at university, and and you know, for example. Myself, I want to go into the startup world and and have that sort of relatively planned out. And and my co-host Nellif, who sadly isn't here today, um, yeah, he wants to join, a, a, a go into a corporate career and join a big company. And and others just want to go travel and and just be done with university. Um, yeah, how, what's some advice on that initial step?
1: I think making the initial step and you're almost planning it when you're a student, when you're still at university, and maybe even as early as your first year, second year. Right by the time you get the third year. You know, you might have worked it out. You might want to change. which is entirely fine. It's hard. I feel that everybody is navigating the ocean, swimming through the ocean somewhere. For me, uh, I think at the start, you do, you know, you do think, did I make the right move? Did I make the right, you know, should I have like gone and pursued building my own startup you know, full time? Should I take in an offer to be, I don't know, maybe a consultant? You know, why did I choose tech, et cetera, et cetera? Everyone has those thoughts. I think, though, what I learned was, in my gut, it felt really right that I wanted to work at Facebook. I wanted to work with startups. I wanted to help these companies grow digitally. I was fascinated by the world of the Internet. I was really interested in, you know, human interaction with social media, and the space of digital advertising and technology and products and things. And I said, it just felt right. And to be honest, it really was a a gut feeling that I got after I did the interview. I said, this is the place for me. So I always say, lead with that. I will caveat and also say that I think try and be prepared for what you're going into. So... With a lot of corporate careers, there will be at times where you either need to work more, either by intensity, hours, it could be extra learning, it could be, you know, different events, and be prepared that at different careers, at different points, you will have to maybe give more. So I often say is how much you prepare to give, because that's how much you'll get out. And I don't mean that necessarily just by mandatory mean, I mean that by real, true learning. I can honestly say that the most intense points of my career where I've spent maybe more hours than normal in an office, meeting people, learning behind the screen, doing stuff, I've learned so much when I take a step back. I genuinely have learned so much. So that's the second thing. First thing is trusting your gut. I think secondly is how much you're prepared to give. I think third is it's never too late to change or pivot. Now there is some thinking, which might be valid that you need to do certain things by certain points in your life, you know, based on like how your risk factor, but other circumstances, it could be like family and things. But ultimately if you're truly passionate about what you're doing, you know, feel free to do it. There's a brand I used to work with when I was at Meta and this lady uh, was in her early fifties. She, she didn't have, didn't have a, you know, kind of traditional corporate career before she got interested in kind of collagen and products and started building a collagen brand at home and a few years on after i think it was after her kind of 50th birthday it's it became one of the uk's leading collagen brands and she just became interested in that i've also seen people pivot in and out through you know masters mbas or you know do a startup come back it's entirely valid you know it's it's your career you hold the pen and you hold the pen for how you write your career But actually, you also hold the pen for how you mark your career, that there's not an external board sitting somewhere to say, actually, you've had a great career, you haven't had a great career. So whatever you decide to do when you're thinking about your, your life, not just your career, I think really is go with your gut on what feels good for you and what do you actually enjoy doing. Second, know what you're prepared to give to get out. And third, you hold the pen for how you write it and how you mark it.
0: You said well, people can pivot in and out of careers, but you know, for you, you've been able to maintain a lot of side hustles while still doing your corporate career. Why do you think it's important to have these side hustles? Um, so for you, like, it might be you did an MBA course. It wasn't quite an MBA course, but it was an online course. Uh, so if you could explain a bit more about that. And then also just you, know, you said that while at university... The idea of building things and having startups—you know—you're part of these big, massive companies that are, you know, the biggest ones in the world: Facebook, Google, and and obviously they still need to grow and they need to continue to grow. But you want to be part of smaller projects. How do you stay involved in the startup space while being in a corporate career? Then,
1: so I I, I like to think of it as just ideas that I have. That's when I just want to kind of test within reason of what I can actually and can't do alongside my kind of main corporate career which is which is my focus right that's something I chose that's something I really enjoy but I've always had these other ideas of I want to try this I want to try that and I, you know I see how much bandwidth of what's actually kind of possible within within the remits of or what I can I can't do and for example the the MBA course you mentioned so that came about i was I think this was a few years ago now where I had an idea for like a you know gut health business and I met a really cool co-founder who was a medical doctor one of the leading doctors in the uk. I had a wealth of experience and I just realized I needed to level up you know on my understanding of business commercials corporates finance marketing the whole thing and at that point I'd, I wasn't really considering a formal MBA but he told me he had done this kind of digital online MBA but, he's, but yeah, and for me I, I knew it wasn't a, a proper MBA but I, I thought it looked like a good course so I did. I basically did that to just kind of get an, an understanding. But I also did it just because I wanted to meet more people in a similar field. And there was like a WhatsApp chat where I got to meet really cool people working at like Netflix, working at Amazon, working at like new cool startups. And you and you build your network uh, as well from these things. So that was interesting to to do that course. I, I still think if I, if people are going to do an MBA, wanted to do that, I'd recommend doing the the formal course. But these online digital versions are really helpful depending on what your needs are. I think as well in terms of just, you know, staying close to startup space. One, it's become a network of people that I've met building cool ideas. And actually, you know, a startup doesn't necessarily even have to be the classic model of, you know, AI, tech, product, you go raise millions of pounds. A startup can actually be a business that just makes revenue from day one. And it could be as simple as like printing service, selling pens, um, you know, agencies, for example. And I've just met people along the journey and I've just tried to engage more people and I've come in at different lenses, whether it's founder, operator, advisor, mentor, just trying to see where can I add help and where can I learn and then also contribute to this kind of startup economy, etc.?
0: Yeah, and when you join these teams or, you know, if it's not one of your starting, how do you identify where it needs help then? Because, I mean, you know, I'm not saying everyone is going to be able to do what you do or, or might not even want to, but but for those that do, like, how, how do you actually do that then?
1: I think it's knowing your skill set. So, for example, with me, I realize I have a skill set and I enjoy kind of growth. Right? I've always enjoyed growth, whether that's building partnerships for the company you're with Driving sales, digital acquisition of customers, branding, you know, technical enablement, kind of tech side of things. That's where I've kind of enjoyed, and you have to know what is my skill set. You call it kind of digital go-to market effectively. What I'm not, I don't have a skill set in accounting, finance, legal, all entirely valid. It's not my skill set. Both from my academic background or also what I've done. So when you rec- when you realize what is your skill then the next question is how do you apply it so for example now i really enjoy connecting so i meet a lot of different companies that i like meeting the founders hearing about their ideas and then if i can just you know simple linkedin connecting with other with other people and i'm not taking a fee i'm not benefiting anything other than you know, I just want to stay in touch with the people and see where do they go and where do I go? And if there's a way to collaborate, great. If there's not, that's also fine. So, for, you know, and I think that's really... Um, that's that's really key as well. So, for example, there's a group called Skin in the Game, which is a health tech sports. You know, think of it as... You know, think of it as, like, um advisory group. I met the founders of this, and I just had a background in kind of, you know, fitness startups, health startups etc and I became really proud of what they're doing they were initially building a newsletter talking about the industry space, I said would love to help you and how you source content build content, execute content and then now kind of sit on as like a very informal mentor advisor to companies they meet and it's just, it's just passion Like there's no reward, it is entirely just passion at this point because um, I don't feel like I need to take a reward nor do I, I want to at this stage of my career I just want to meet, greet, and connect.
0: Yeah, you must feel like you're at a very exciting stage of your career where you've you've done a lot and you're getting closer and closer to working out what your skill set is. And you know, obviously, to many Google was like the pinnacle of what a career could be. But you know, I I would guess by having spoken to you for a little bit that you have ambitions that maybe go beyond working for someone and working for yourself. What what is the future of your career look like right now because i mean you have so many things you can tap into and you've got so many directions you can go and 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 like you've said uh, in the podcast you don't need to rush any of that um and you you should just do it when it feels right and when you feel passionate about doing it but yeah what does it look like
1: what does the future of my career look like big question Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i think i always just want to do cool stuff as as big as that sounds and for me, like cool stuff doesn't have to be something at the cutting edge of AI. It's working with stimulating people, solving big problems, and knowing that I'm having an impact. So for me right now, I love what I'm doing at Google. We're looking at how do we help customers maximize profitable growth through kind of search advertising, our, our products basically. It's a big challenge to continue working on and solving. I'm really energized by the people I get to sit next to, work around the things that I'm learning. And, uh, you know, at the same token of the coin, when I'm maybe going for a walk or before I go to sleep at night, I sometimes think maybe I do want to be a full-time, I don't know, influencer on like careers or um, <laughs> fitness, for example, or something else, or maybe I want to, I don't know, launch an agency or maybe I want to, um, you know, pick up that gut gut health startup or continue my iteration and ideas in Web three and the metaverse so you have lots of different ideas. I think key is knowing what you want in that time and right now i've said what I want is my career here at Google, and then see where the door leads you or like what happens and what changes. Some changes will be in your control that you'd maybe decide it's the right time for you to pivot, do something else, move within the company. And I think that's the other thing as well I've learned is in these in these like large corporates, you have a lot of space to do different things and work on different teams. So often from the outside, it's, you know, oh this person's been here for so long. But actually, if you ask them and you look into the detail, they've kind of done a lot of different things within a company, picking up a lot of different skills, working a lot of different products, working on different markets different countries different people so you're constantly being challenged and even if you actually have been in the same team what i've learned is it's it's only the same like for like six months and then it's something changes macro internal you're constantly being challenged and being forced to not reinvent yourself but to adapt because these are big large fast-moving companies that have responsibility to customers shareholders you know, users. So you constantly have to be adapting and evolving. And when you see that happening, you're like, "Wow, this is cool." Mm-hmm. So I think, like a lot of people, I'm still exploring what the future holds for for me.
0: It must be something that you're getting fed at Google at lunchtime, time, whatever. Because you know, we ha- I had Craig Fenton, managing director at Google. You said to me, your boss uh, at one point, um, and he's a what well, a pilot he's a oh, youtuber like, like, yeah. like I mean, crazy just i mean career. you know just to do all that stuff outside of it and, and it's probably what if it's not actually what you get fed it, it's a mindset right it's it's a it's a mindset that you get instilled in by having like-minded people around you and so sort of on that and it's a question we like to ask all I guess, as we begin to round off the episode and i'll be fascinated to hear it from from you you know having achieved a lot of um well, what 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 I would deem as success, you know, what your own definition of success is, right? And and what it might have looked like, like when you were, you know, at York, building this consulting brand. What did success look like then? And now, in the position you are in now, what does it look like?
1: I think for me, success is to be fulfilled both in your personal life and your professional life. And I think on the professional side, it's doing things that you enjoy with people that you like working with and are learning from and also being challenged by and knowing that you're having an impact. And by impact, I mean change, that you are, you are able or you, you have the space, you can create the space in the runway for yourself and for the people around you to do something that changes how you know you do business or how you work with customers, work with partners, work with teams. I think that is cool. So for me, that is fulfillment, knowing that every day I get to do things, whether it's speaking at large events, working with our top customers, working with and partnering with incredible people at the company, you know, doing things like this that constantly energize and fuel me and say, Yeah, I feel fulfilled. I think my problem is <laughs> I constantly have an itch to do something more or something different, and so on. So I want to preserve that, but also trying to tell myself and teach myself to be content in in the moment. But I think that's the challenge.
0: Yeah, we we've covered a lot of yeah, sort of inspiring, and it's been well, it's been a very inspiring podcast, and and yeah, a lot of your successes, and and we I do like. In these podcasts, ask about maybe some more difficult times you've been through, and and, and you know, on, on face value, it doesn't appear obvious when that may have been. But you know, I am sure everyone has them, right? And you maybe delve into sort of your hardest obstacle you have to overcome, or, or or maybe just something you are still dealing with now. Like you, you mentioned, like not feeling fulfilled completely. Like, what is that? How does that affect your own mental health?
1: Yeah, so I think for me, like, you know, I try and manage well being through. Exercise and movement. I, I, I prioritise move, movement. For me, that's you know going to the gym, making time to, to do that, playing team sport like hockey, etc. I think that's really important that at some point in your day... So I mean, uh, one of the books that had a really big, profound impact on me was Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I have this habit of moving every day and that's exercising every single day. And it doesn't have to be 100% intensity. You could can, can reduce intensity 60%, 80%. But just getting that in and that's really important for me. How and that helps me deal with failure because I get to kind of put it in perspective, zone out a little bit of what's happening. Um I think that's really important for people to be able to have a space or a way, a mechanism in which they can do that. And I think like failure for me is, you know, I didn't get into Google on my first try. I can't remember how many tries it took me. And I and I was loving what I was doing at Meta or Microsoft at that point, but I knew I was wanted to work here. But I was just resilient and I had that hunger and I knew I could do it. So I kept trying to iterate my C V, learn what's going on, moving around, looking for the right role. And then I and then I found that. And then even when I did interviews, you know, you might get rejected, you try and recuperate from that. So you know, that's one of the external failures. Even internally, the project that I'm leading, I get to work with a lot of cool people. It will get and you, and with EMEA, you have different countries, different dynamics, different customers, so you get a lot of challenging feedback, which is very hard to assimilate. It's like a hundred people telling you different things, all aligned with the same goal, but how we do that, like how you build the car, is different. So you need to decide what am I going to take in apart from different places to feed how we build this car? And at times like you know you're overwhelmed, it's difficult. You're feeling like I can't keep up, etc. But that's why having this a space for yourself to channel well-being and mental health, and for me, that's you know, movement and exercise and team sport is so vital, so that you get the space to be able to do that um, and deal with overcoming. And I don't call it failure; I call it falling. So falling, but then picking yourself back up.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on today. Honestly, for me, it's been amazing to be able to, to talk to you and. and I think what I've sort of taken from it the most is that, you know, you look at these people that you think are just so unattainable their career and you think they've achieved so much. But this is why I love doing this podcast. It humanises these people. It puts an actual person to to these CVs and, and, and it makes it all seem that bit less scary and I hope it does for anyone else listening. But one last piece of final advice that you would love to maybe tell... Yourself at York, you know, you're building this consulting firm, you've got all these like crazy ideas about what you want your career to be and ambition. What would you say to you about them?
1: What would I say to myself if I was a student right now? Hunger, gratitude, hustle.
0: Love it. Cheers, mate. Cheers coming on.
1: Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.